0: Next week, we'll join with believers all around the world as we celebrate the resurrection. The last several messages in Hebrews have all included a heavenly bent. They've drawn our eyes towards eternity. When we return to Hebrews in two weeks, we will transition... To the imperatives, that the, the do statements of the letter. The author has spent 12 chapters telling us, showing us, this is who Jesus is. This is what He has done for you. And then in this final chapter, chapter 13 of Hebrews, it will be, here are some of the ways that life should look. The things that we should do in light of who He has been revealed to be. So, with a a similar spirit to our extended sightings of Jesus in Hebrews, I, I wanted us to look this morning at the resurrected Christ from the vantage point of His closest disciple, the Apostle John. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, I am... Acutely aware right now of my need for Your help. Lord, we come not lightly to Your Word. We have great need of seeing You this morning. Of hearing from You this morning. As I talk, would Your words be evident? Lord, would you move in us and among us? Encourage us and convict us where needed. Draw our gaze to you for comfort, for faith, for perseverance. We pray these things. Amen. couple of Christmas, Christmases ago I received Stephen Curtis Chapman's album Beauty Will Rise in it he shares his story of grieving with hope after the tragic death of his adopted five year old daughter Maria in 2008 the album itself is good but Hearing what burst each song in the liner notes I found especially edifying. Before one of the songs he writes C S E E. This little three letter word took on enormous meaning to my family and me on may twenty second, two thousand eight. The day after Maria went to heaven, Mary Beth and I went to our house with friends to get some clothes for the next few days. See, we had decided to stay with our friends, the Andersons, until we felt we could return to our house for good. We walked from room to room feeling like we were lost in some terrible dream and tried to imagine ever living in this house again that had suddenly become so terribly quiet and empty. As I walked through the dining room, I noticed a piece of paper on Maria's little art table where she and her sister would spend hours coloring and drawing and cutting and gluing. On that piece of paper was a flower that had been drawn and colored with markers. It was one of Maria's signature flowers, She loved to draw. But this one appeared to be unfinished. As only one of the six petals was colored in with blue marker. The others were just outlined. Then I noticed something was written with marker on the back side of the paper. Now let me back up for just a minute, he writes, and explain one other part of this story. Shortly after Maria had been carried away to Jesus, all of us, Particularly Caleb and I began to talk about how desperate we were just to see something. A dream or a vision, anything that would help confirm in some tangible way that what we were holding on to by faith, that Maria was truly okay. And even more than okay, that she really was safe in the arms of Jesus It was a plea that I heard us all say several times in those first hours. God, please let us see something. So back to the flower artwork on the table. I turned the page over and was completely stunned to find a word written on the back in Maria's handwriting To any of our knowledge, she knew only six words that she could write. I love you, mom, dad, and her name, Maria. But there on the back of the paper, she had written in all capital letters the word, See. Even as one who is usually careful not to attach more meaning to something than it deserves, I was... And still am completely convinced that this was a precious gift from the broken heart of our father in heaven delivered through our daughter's own hand the very morning before she left us for heaven. I could picture the face of our little girl smiling at us and saying, see, see mom and dad, see everybody. It's just like you said, only so much better. And I really am okay. It was our Father's way of saying, see, see with eternal eyes, see that I have your little girl safe and sound with me, and see by faith my promise of the day that's coming very soon when I will make everything new and will wipe every last one of these tears from your eyes. When was the last time you were in a place of wanting to do more than just hear about truth? You wanted to see its reality in some way. Most of us come to that place from time to time. Certainly sufferings and trials have have a way of keeping us in that place for extended seasons. We can all be in that place here and there. The loss of a job, the loss of a loved one. Physical suffering. Financial trials. And seeing. Well, seeing can make an impact that hearing alone can sometimes not touch. The Chapman's... Their family was desperate to see. See that their little girl was okay. See that God had not left the picture. I think God wants His church to see for the same reason. He wants us to see that He has not left the building. That He is with his people and that's why we're going to turn this morning to revelation see we've noted in hebrews that there was a growing opposition and persecution for the disciples but the roman persecution see that that persecution was often from the jews that we read about in acts but it only escalated after that time when the romans began to persecute particularly with nero With the burning of Rome, he he needed a scapegoat. And he found that and blamed Christians. They were made to wear skins of wild animals so that they would be torn apart by dogs. They were crucified for their weird allegiance to a crucified Savior. Believers were dipped in pitch and tied to stakes and burned. As torches at the emperor's parties. And by the time of the writing of Revelation, John was the last remaining apostle. Few eyewitnesses to Christ's ministry were still alive. The number of the old timers that could still say, I was there when this happened was dwindling year by year. Years have now gone by. The the early church is now a few decades old. It's about the turn of the first century. And there, there could be a temptation for His followers, especially under persecution, to wonder, where is Jesus now? Isn't He supposed to come back soon? Doesn't He see the troubles that we're enduring? Where is the resurrected Lord in His church, in this world that we're struggling and suffering in? Persecution only increased with Nero's successors as Christianity was increasingly seen at odds with the emperor worship common at this time here are some denarius coins from the second period this was depicting Domitian son on the right as an infant portrayed as Jupiter the god sitting atop the world his hands outstretched to seven stars Christianity was on a collision course with the decrees of emperors. And the church was beginning to feel the heat at the end of the first century. That is the time in which Revelation was written. So let's look now to the letter written to a church desperate to see how a crucified and exalted Jesus fit into the world they found themselves living in and struggling in. As God, He wants them to see that Jesus is with His people. Let's start reading in chapter 1, verse 4. Just past the <coughs> initial introduction. John writes, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. And I, I'm going to, as I read, I'm just going to interrupt. So just try and stay with me. Just kind of highlight, give a little commentary as we continue to go. Seven, um, this is a very symbolic book. I'm not going to attempt to... Uh, this isn't a study of Revelation. This is a study of this first chapter. Um, so I'm not going to answer all your questions this morning. Sorry. We'll leave that for another time. Um to try and dispel many of the the mysteries of Revelation. But this is an apocalyptic book. It's it's rich in imagery, in Old Testament references, um, and in symbolism. So seven is a perfect number in in their understanding and and it's a number of completeness. When when John is writing to this or Jesus is speaking to the seven churches These weren't the only churches that were in Asia, such as Colossae. There there would have been other known churches at this time. Uh, These were particular ones that they were meaning to represent really the church, the visible church on earth. Um, These were representatives of the entire church. But this is, as I said, a book full of symbolisms and pictures Verse 4, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. I want us to sing and stop again. John is beginning as any other letter of the time. It's similar to other epistles with a greeting and of grace and peace common to how Paul penned many of his letters. But they're meaningful words. This isn't just a throwaway salutation. Peace is something that this church that is receiving this In their persecution is desperate to find right now. Peace is is possible only by the grace, the favor from God that precedes it in this introduction, in this greeting. The church's source of grace and peace is here highlighted by John within the greeting as the triune God. As the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we see from Him who is, and who was, and who is to come. This is speaking of the Father, but, but it's really, it's doing so in a bit of an unusual order. Starting with is, you know, the, the logical would say that who was, who is, who is to come. Other places in Scripture use that order, but, but John wants to highlight something in particular as he's opening this letter, as he's declaring this peace. The, the, starting with this God who is, he's, he's not just talking about His eternality. He's not just talking about He's always been here and He always will be. Right now, he wants to highlight God's location. He is. He is right now. He is here right now. He is with you. Don't jump ahead to look into the past or the future. Yes, He's there too, but He is. He wants that to be the first thing that hits His readers. And from the seven Spirits who are before the throne, the context placement here between the Father and the Son in this introduction makes me believe that that seven Spirits, again, that complete Spirit, that perfect Spirit, he's talking about God's Holy Spirit here. Again, using the symbolic seven indicating perfection, completeness. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Now, now being witnesses, faithful witnesses, is the precise thing that, that these believers are finding themselves under persecution for. And John is using that to identify Christ with them. It's your faithful witnesses, but that's his description of Christ. The faithful witness. He's with you. It's a reminder that they are following in his footsteps as they testify to the truth about God, even for many footsteps that lead to their own deaths as he was faithful unto his own death. He's described as the firstborn of the dead. So what we'll celebrate next week. He is the first. He is their testimony. Again, they are put together with Him. It's not just Him by Himself. He is the first of many. You are included in this community of the resurrected. He is your testimony. He is their example. He is with them and precedes them in resurrection. He's also described as the ruler of the kings on earth. Now, now that one's a game changer. When they find themselves under Domitian's thumb, it helps to know that Jesus is not a frightened bystander. Watching helplessly as this persecution unfolds. He is the King of kings. And He is ruler over Domitian. And He is with them. John then breaks into worship and we quickly see that, that even though all three persons of the Godhead were mentioned in the greeting, Jesus is going to be the focus of this revelation from John to Him. Who loves us. Again, this language of relationship. He is not far off. You are on His heart. You are on His mind. He cares for you. He loves you. And has freed us from our sins by His blood. Verse 6. And made us a kingdom. Priests to His God. And Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John's praise begins with Jesus' saving work, freeing us from our sins by His blood, then continues to the fruit of that work, ending with the proclamation of His right to exercise dominion and authority over all, which then seems to spark His next thought. In verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who Is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. It might not be plain or clear to us because for most of us we don't know our Old Testament as well as John's readers. But he is making some pretty clear allusions here to Daniel chapter 7 with Some subtle differences. Early in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees four beasts rise out of the sea and given dominion for a season. Then we come to Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 where the prophet writes, "...as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow." and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Down to verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. John's mention of Dominion seems to be the bridge that brings up this scene from Daniel where one like a son of man was presented before the Ancient of Days and, and given dominion which, which John clearly identifies in his recounting as Christ coming with the clouds so that every eye will see Him even those that pierced Him all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him this is the crucified Christ returning to reign at which those who have rejected and pierced him will most surely wail. And in effect, we have God the Father, the Ancient of Days giving his approval to it all by his pronouncement as the Alpha and the Almighty, the Omega, the Almighty. John peels back the veil on the culmination of history which should be no small encouragement for those that are in Christ Jesus. Especially for those that are reeling from trial and tribulation. And that is how John ends the greeting of his letter. How else will John reveal that Christ is with His church? Look, look to the body. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation... Even John here himself wants to make sure they see that He, as Christ's apostle, is with them. A partner, a brother in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, He was exiled there. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. John begins by identifying himself as as their partner in tribulation and kingdom, endurance, in part evidence by his own exile on Patmos because of the ministry that he has given his life to. But John isn't identifying a a special tribulation period, but simply referring to the common Christian experience. In this life, we will have trouble. In this life, there will be tribulations of many kinds, which can make the kingdom we are part of hard to see, hard to recognize, which is why we need to patiently endure The believers at this time were undergoing direct opposition and persecution. We are more likely to experience other sufferings. But these are not threats to our salvation. Or our relationship with God. But common aspects of the Christian life. Into our lives Trouble will come. So John was in the Spirit. And whether that means a vision or a dream or a physical transportation, it isn't clear from this passage. But he received a commission to write what he sees and send it to the seven churches. Now, with Paul's visit to the third heaven, we're not told many details, but it seemed to be primarily for his edification for his persevering per, his perseverance in the, the mission that God had given him as apostle to the gentiles but but here it is clear that what John sees is for the churches he is seen so that they can see so that we can see so that we can see Christ more clearly As he is in this time where he can seem so hidden. So what does John see? Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And these, are, these are garments of the chief priest. Verse 14, "...the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Now, I want us to remember, it's an odd picture. But I want us to remember that that much of this is, is symbolic. John is not necessarily describing what Jesus looks like as much as he is what Jesus is. Like. He wants us to feel what he felt when he saw what he saw. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. This passage highlights that Jesus is with His churches, but it also describes Him as being with John. So let's start with John's response. Let's just remember for a moment who it is that's drooling on the pavement right here. He was one of the three of the inner circle of Christ in His ministry. When none of the others were allowed to follow, and He just took one or two or three away, John was always in that group. John, along with James and Peter, saw Jesus transfigured before them. He watched with his own eyes as his teacher who he's been following and calling Rabbi and eating and traveling with starts chatting with Moses and Elijah on the mount. This is the disciple called the Beloved because of the favor and closeness he had with Jesus. This is the one who Is reported as reclining on the Savior's breast during the Last Supper. The one entrusted with the care of Christ's own mother as he hung upon the cross. He outran Peter to be the first disciple to the tomb. He watched Jesus be crucified. He dined with him after the resurrection and he watched him ascend. He's no Johnny come lately to the church scene. If anyone could boast of an intimate personal relationship with the risen Jesus, it was John. But there's no boasting at the moment of this reunion. Instead, this most favored apostle is laid out As a dead man because of what he sees. What he saw was fearsome. This view of the resurrected Jesus was much different than the last time he laid eyes on his Lord. And I'm not sure that the words fear not would be all that comforting in that moment. Even when joined with words like I'm the first and the last, I have the keys of death and Hades. Yeah, that's kind of why I'm laying on the ground right now. But to the original hearers, many of whom were under literally the threat of death, it's immensely helpful to know that Jesus is the one holding those keys. That He is the living One who died but is now alive forevermore. Oh, What we celebrate this coming week, it has consequences. It means something. It's not just a Bible story. He is alive. And He is reigning. He is the first and the last He holds the keys to death and hell. One of the last times John saw Him, not the last, but one of the last, He was being nailed to a tree. Seems so helpless hanging there. Unable to move, unable to breathe, except when he pulls himself up on those nails. Picture of weakness, of helplessness. But that wasn't the end of the story. He didn't stay dead. The tomb was rolled away. He was lifted up, ascended to the right hand of the Father where He now reigns. The last picture they had was of Him going up into the clouds. And then there can be these questions, when will it be, Lord? How long? Where are you now in my time of trouble? And John wants to pull back the curtain and say, Look where he is. Look who he is. The last picture you saw of your Lord, the last thing that any witness could have told you about, oh, it doesn't begin to describe doesn't begin to tell the whole story of the power and the authority and the dominion that He has. He is high and exalted. He is reigning in heaven. And He is with you. So He tells John to write the things that He has seen. Those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And that is the content of the rest of John's revelation. But right here, there is a very particular reality that is being revealed to John and for his readers. The first thing that John reports seeing is seven golden lampstands, which we learn at the end of this passage represent the seven churches. For witnesses, this should bring to mind a call to not hide our light under a bushel, but to put it on a stand for all to see. The churches are described as lights. The interpretation is also given of the seven stars, said to be the angels of the seven churches. Again, there's not time to go into and develop um, all of this. Are these literal angels? Are these talking about um, leaders of these churches? My understanding, because of how these angels are referred to and talked directly to in chapters 2 and 3 as he addresses each of the seven churches is that he's addressing the congregation. The stars are also the churches. They are the congregations. They are the people um, that he's writing to. The church broadly. Holding the seven stars in the midst of those lampstands stands one like A son of man. Again, calling up images from Daniel. But again, John doesn't just repeat what Daniel saw, but adds key distinctions, key elements of his own where he changes what Daniel saw. So read with me in Daniel chapter 10. Verses 5 and 6, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz. Around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Verses 13 and 14, Then he said to me, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Verse 20 and 21. Then he said... But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. He's bringing up this picture of this son of man. Uh, Let me say from the outset: um, there's things here I I simply don't know exactly what to do with. Okay, Um, full disclosure: I'm not gonna. I can't explain all of this description. But what is clear. Undeniable. Plain in the physical description that John uses. And his title of the one like a son of man. he is intentionally trying to bring to mind the same image that Daniel was. The flaming eyes. The feet like glowing bronze. The beaming face. The voice. Almost all taken directly from Daniel chapter 10. And his description of the son of man. But John also mixes in a little bit of Daniel 7 in his description. Except, it isn't the Son of Man who has the white hair and the white garment, but who? It's the Ancient of Days. So John gives this picture of the Son of Man combined with the Ancient of Days that the true God-Man, Jesus Christ, standing among the churches, Among the lampstands, He reveals, are the churches. With a sword coming out of His mouth. And again, I don't think Jesus' eyes have transformed into eyes that are really fire. Or He has a sword for a tongue. But John wants us to see that the impact meeting Him has. And that the resurrected Lord means... Business. This is no gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This searcher of hearts full of consuming holiness and boundless wisdom is the perfect priest standing for his people before the Father and the perfect King defending them against the devil by his invincible word. See, Revelation shows us through their visions how things really are, not necessarily how they look to the physical eye. Where is Jesus in the midst of trials and tribulations that the churches are undergoing? For all the questions that Daniel 10 raises, it makes one thing absolutely clear about the Son of Man, and that is that He is fighting on Israel's behalf. John reveals Him to be holding the churches in His mighty hand. He is also standing in their midst, and He is fighting on their behalf. He is the first and the last, the risen One, the One who holds the keys to death and Hades, and He has not forgotten His people. He is in their midst. He is fighting their battles. And He will not let them go. Stars in His hands, they they emphasize, they reveal His transcendence. How He is beyond the limitations that could be placed upon Him. It also reveals His possessive protectiveness. His churches, His people, they're in His hand. The lampstands highlight His imminence, His nearness, as He's walking among them, as He's in their midst, It's revealing His presence with them even in their trial. The glorious Son of Man lives among His congregations even in their suffering. He holds the lives of His saints in His hands. And He comes to John because He wants His people to see Him as He is. See that He is with them. He wants us to see that He is with us. So the question I think that is before us this morning is simply, where are you aware that you need to see God as with you today? What trial, what trouble, what area of life? It, has He grown faint? Do you question His true love and compassion for you? Where is it that you question whether He's really with you? I believe Revelation is written for those moments where... The curtains are pulled back a bit and we see Him as He truly is. He's here. He's with us. He holds us in His hand. He is fighting for us. He is not distant. He is not far off. It is not just someday maybe He'll return. Let's just long and hope for that eventual day of deliverance No, He came once to deliver us from the dominion of sin and death. And He is coming to complete that work. He's coming again. But He hasn't left us. He hasn't left us alone. The picture of heaven is that He still walks among His churches. He still holds His people in His hand. He is fighting our battles for us. So, physical ailment, finances, salvation of a loved one, relational conflict that we're undergoing. Where do we need to see Him as with us? Let us look to these words. Let us look to this picture and realize that He is with us. We've spent the last several months seeing Jesus in Hebrews. Next week we'll see a resurrected Jesus and His power over sin and death. We need to realize that this privilege of seeing Jesus' sovereignty over and presence in the midst of trial and tribulation wasn't just for seven churches 1,900 years ago. He is still with His people in their suffering. He holds us in His almighty hand, He will make all things right. He has dominion. He has authority. No matter how dark things look in the moment, the hands that were pierced for you are right now holding you and won't let you go. You may not be able to see it clearly now, but a day is coming when that hand will wipe every tear from your eyes. The reality of His presence here this morning is greater than yours or mine. No matter what our trial or distraction might be today, let us pray together for eyes to see.